0: Well, hey, good morning. My name is Nate, and I'm the lead pastor here, and I'm glad that you're here today. Uh, one of the things that happened at our church today is Londonderry had their location launched today, so we're excited about that. And one of the things that was kind of happening is over the last couple of weeks, we had this video that we've been sharing and people have been posting. And uh, when people would interact with that, we'd then invite them to like our Facebook page. That way, they could stay up to date on everything happening. So, Um, when we invited someone to like our page, they sent us this response. They sent us a private message to our Restoration Facebook page, and they said, thanks for the invitation to your church, but it's been brought to my attention that me and my kind are not welcome in church. That being said, I hope all is well. I don't know what they've heard about our church or or what they've experienced in another church, um, but we've I sent him a response back, and we said this, honestly, we had no idea you were a New York Jets fan, <laughs> but if you promise not to wear your jersey on a Sunday, you're absolutely welcome to come. <laughs> so they responded back, New York Jets, question mark, ha ha, and then, then we were a little bit more serious with them, and we said, listen, we don't have a kind of people that are allowed to come to our church. Um, you know... It doesn't really. It doesn't matter what your background is. Doesn't matter what you believe. It doesn't matter how you live. Uh, we want to be a place where you can come and you can hear about Jesus, investigate Jesus, and hopefully make a decision to follow Jesus. And if you don't want to, we're not going to force you to do that, and uh, and, and we're not going to we're not going to kick you out. And then their response after that was, uh, again, haha, I don't know who's writing this, because it's just tagged as, as Restoration Church, but I feel like you'd know me. And, uh, you know, at our, at our church here this morning as we're singing a song, saying, I swear to God, I'm never going to repent. If you've never been to our church before, you've, or if you've never been to church before, like, and this is a little bit different than I anticipated, and, uh, and I don't really know how I should feel about this or how to, how to respond to this, and I just... You know, as I get in, I'm going to talk for the next 25 minutes. Uh, at Restoration Church, we don't want you to act religious. And we don't want you to just show up to have a religious service. And you just kind of check it off and you go home. Everything that we do here and, and, and our goal in, in, in everything we do, and even singing a Panic at the Disco song, is to help you to know Jesus. And everything we're trying to do is to direct you toward him, to help you experience him, to to get you to the place where you are able to say, I know that he is real. So, in our service, we talk about real life. We talk about things that are really going on. And uh, it's not all harps and angels. Like, we're going to really talk about things that are happening. And we talk about Jesus and we talk about the Bible in a way that will really make a difference in your life. So if you're here and you've never been here before, that's what we want for you, and that's my agenda for you. Jesus is different than you think he is. We just have this idea of what he is based on movies or based on uh, uh, churches that we went to a long time ago or based on our coworkers, but... He's different than that. He's different than what you think he is. And the moment you know him and you discover him for yourself, that changes everything. Changes everything in your life. It changes the way you view and understand everything. And that is what we want for you. For me, you know, I grew up in church, and my my parents didn't. And um, my parents both came to this understanding and this place where they where they um, where they uh, made the decision to follow Jesus when they were in their 20s. My dad was 21, and his parents were alcoholics, and he was uh, essentially living the same lifestyle, and he was living for Saturday night, and he was just uh, drinking and having fun with, with friends and working, and that was his life. And because of a coworker, he ended up coming to know Jesus, and my mom at the time was really ticked off about it and threatened to leave him, but within a couple of weeks, she herself made a decision to follow Jesus. So by the time I was born, uh, that's what we did. And every Sunday, we went to church, um, but we went to church sometimes three days a week and sometimes more than that for, for my life growing up. And I always, for me, had this belief in God, but when I, was in, when I was 14 years old, I experienced what I hope you'll experience today. That all of a sudden, it wasn't just a belief system, it wasn't just an idea, but I experienced God, I experienced Jesus for the first time myself, and it, I was shocked, I was surprised, I was overwhelmed, and I was grateful, and I was changed forever. And that's what that's, that experience is one thing that led me to be a pastor and, and led my wife Michelle because um, to to do what we do because we want to help people to know him like that. Not just just be a part of our church, but to know Jesus. And that's why we that's why we launched in Londonderry today. Despite how great Jesus is and Maybe, you know, I, I just talked about him in a way that maybe you've never heard before. Despite how great he is, people still leave the church. If, uh, one study I found from 2014, and this could be changed a little bit, uh, the number could be higher, uh, potentially, because this was from 2014, but it said 3,500 people in the United States leave the church every single day. They just, they're just done with it for one reason or another, And that's what the songwriter and the singer of Panic at the Disco was singing about. He's one of those people who's just leaving religion, and instead of living for Sunday morning and having that be his moment, he's going to live for Saturday night, and that's going to be his religion, and that's how he's going to live. Instead of the piousness and the holiness of a Sunday morning, he's going to live for the parties and for the adventure of a Saturday night. And we want to talk about that because, you know, th- I think you might be there, and that might be s- something that you struggle with, or maybe you're back to church today for the first time in a long time. In the first verse of the song, the uh, "Say Amen," he lists two reasons, the two main reasons why he's leaving religion and uh, and, and walking away from all of it. The, First part of the first verse says, I've been traveling in packs that I can't carry anymore, been waiting for somebody else to carry me. There's nothing else for me at at my door. All the people I know aren't who they used to be. What he's essentially saying there is like, these people surrounding this religion, they're hypocrites. And I thought they were someone, and I remember them as someone, but now that I know who they really are, they are they are hypocrites. They they're two-faced, they're double-sided. I just, I you know, I don't ever want to try to pretend that I'm someone that I'm not, or we as a church are something that we're not. We are not perfect. I, as an individual, I'm not perfect. I'm a pastor, but I am no better than you. I was born in New Hampshire. My wife was born in New Hampshire, and and that's who we are. We don't have a perfect marriage. We have struggles. Our kids aren't perfect. Um, You know, we don't have it all together. But we've discovered and we've met Jesus, and that's just the motivator for us in our life. So you will hear me from time to time talk about things that are going on in my life, and you'll be like, oh, that's, you know, it's not very spiritual, but I struggle just like you do. And uh, and we've walked through difficult times in the past, and you just wonder, where is God through all of that? In the second part, so he says, listen, I'm leaving this because of, because of the people, and because of the hypocrites, and he goes on in the second part of that verse, and he says, if I try to change my life one more day, there would be nobody else to save, and I can't change into a person I don't want to be, so it's Saturday night. And what he's saying is, listen, I can't change, I've tried, i tried to be religious, i tried to act right, I can't do it, so I give up, I'm not even going to try anymore, I'm going to just live the way I want to. And that's where he says in the chorus, I swear to God, I'm never going to repent. And maybe that's where you are. Maybe that's where you are. You, you know, you're here and you've been in church for a long time and, and you're just like questioning like, I've been doing this for years and, and you're just thinking like, man, it, it's so hard, it's so difficult and you just, you're just questioning and you've been questioning for a little while. Should I walk away? Why do I keep coming? Why should I keep coming? Why... You know, I'm just not even sure, and, and that's where you are. What if you walk away, though, from something great? What if you walk away from a great God and from, from, from Him, like, from what He can do and, and how much He loves you? What if you walk away from something and, and you've walked away from everything? Maybe you're here and it's been a long time since you've been in church, Something brought you here today and you're here and now you're beginning to you wonder, should I go back? You left a long time ago, you swore you'd never go back, but yet here you are and you're wrestling with these questions you haven't dealt with for a long time. Should I go back? Should I be a part of this again? Should I put my trust in Jesus again? And I hope you do. I hope as we go through the message this morning, I hope as we go through the service this morning, you just go all in and you say, you know what, I, I've, I've lived for Saturday night, I've experienced that and there was nothing there and I walked away and I, and I want to come back and I hope today changes your life forever. Yeah. There was a guy in the Bible who wrote a song It's very similar to the song that Panic at the Disco wrote and it's in Psalm 73. If you've got your Bible there, you can open and I just encourage you to keep it open because we'll be jumping through a bunch of verses in that chapter today. And the guy's name was Asaph, and he is the song we're about to read is, is a song he wrote about leaving the church and the struggles he had and ultimately the decision he came to. Asaph was a national worship leader appointed to that position by King David. And so lived several thousand years ago, uh, but his song uh, is... True for us today, and, and resonates with things that I've dealt with, and, and probably that you have as well. And he's, despite his prominent position as a church leader, as someone who's supposed to help people experience God and usher people into the presence of God, he's he's come to a place where he's trying to decide: Am I going to give this all up? And well, starting at verse number one, Psalm seventy-three, verse number one, he says. Truly, God is good to Israel, to those whose hearts are pure. But as for me, I almost lost my footing. My feet were slipping, and I was almost gone. What he's beginning to say here in the opening of his song is, I believe that God's good. Surely God's good to his people, Israel. But then he says, but I don't believe he's good to me. And that thought, he said, was... like a, uh, standing on a slippery cliff. And that thought could have, could have brought him great destruction. But that's where he was, and he's honest about that. I love the honesty in this song. He tells us exactly how he's feeling, and he doesn't kind of sugarcoat anything or, or just try to pretend like everything's perfect, but he's honest about it, where he is. And the honesty in this song continues as he says, I'm envious of wicked people. And I, you know, there's a chance you've been there. You're you're just envious of other people. You're you know, and it could be of 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 politicians. It could just be of the people in your in your school or your workplace that seems like they do everything wrong, but yet everything seems to go right for them. And what Asaph is writing is, that I see these wicked people everywhere, and but yet they're increasing in riches. You know you think maybe like a politician like they're doing all these things, but they're they're stepping on the backs of people and and it's and their and their riches are increasing, but yet here I am and 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 my riches aren't increasing and he and he's envious of them and of their gain and of of all the material possessions they have. He then says, you know, and he's beginning to crush and wrestle, you know, God, it seems like you're better off to them than you are to me. Here are these wicked people, they're doing all these wicked things in their life, and all these wicked things to other people, but yet they're dying in peace. When they get to the end of their life, it's just like... It's just, they just die in peace, and there's been no judgment for them. And I was hoping that, you know, maybe you'd afflict them with some you know, horrific boil disease at the end of it, and, and, and at least we get the, the final, like, we'd we know your, your justice at that point. But it seems like they've lived their entire life without any affliction, without you opposing them in any way. And he says, Their cruelty goes unpunished. And he looks at that and he's like, maybe this is proof that God doesn't care how you live. You can live however you want, and God doesn't care, God doesn't mind. And, and he's like, if, there's, if, if the wicked can live however they want and, and things are going good for their life, then, then why am I doing this? Some would look at the way the wicked live and they would say, God must not be real If he allows this wickedness to stay, and this is a question people still ask in our culture, and they say, um, How, you know, if if God's real, why do good things happen, or why do bad things happen to good people? If God was real, why would he let my my loved one die? If God was real, why would I've lost my job? If God was real, why would I have this sickness right now? They say, surely God can't be real or I wouldn't be experiencing these bad things. And you look at other people who are, who are absolutely depraved and wicked. And you say, but them, they're healthy. They have their job. They have their family. And, and why am I doing this if they're like that? And Asaph is saying, it seems like the ungodly are experiencing the best in life, but the godly are getting the worst of life. And this is where he was, and this is what he's writing in his song. In verse number 13, he continues then, and he, he begins to ask this question, and he begins to kind of make this statement, like, I don't see the point then in following Jesus. If the wicked are going unpunished, and there's no benefit, and he says this in verse number 13, did I keep my heart pure for Nothing. Did I keep myself innocent for no reason? I get nothing but trouble all day long. Every morning brings me pain. It says, was it all a waste? I lived for God for my entire life. Was it all a waste? Was it a waste to be pure in heart? Was it a waste to be innocent? Was it a waste to, to live for God? And You know, I, this is an area where I think I can, I can speak to and understand because there's a bunch of you who have been in church your entire life like I have. And I think every single one of us will get to the place where we begin to question, like, you know what, I haven't, I haven't, I haven't engaged in, in these activities, I haven't done these things, I haven't gone to these parties, I haven't lived like that, I've been innocent, and I've been pure, and I've tried to follow you, God, to the best of my ability, I've been repentant when I've done wrong, and, and I haven't walked from you, but I wonder if I've made a mistake, and if I missed out. Here I am, you know. Here you are. You're you're 29 years old, and you're still living. uh, You're still living the Christian life. You're like, what what about all those things I didn't do and I didn't experience? Should I have done those things? And maybe I should do them now because I might not have the opportunity in a few years. And and you're just wrestling with that. And that's a temptation that every single one of us will face, including Asaph. He looked. And he looks at his life, and he looks at other people's lives, and he's saying, you know what? I don't really see any benefit. I don't really see any difference. And that's a temptation for every believer. Why go go on in the Christian life any further? There's no benefit to me. Why should I continue? In verses 15 through 20 of, of the song, he um, not that it has 20 verses like a normal song, but uh, the way it's outlined in the Bible. In, in, in verses 15 through 20, he goes on to tell us two reasons why he hasn't left yet. And these are maybe reasons why you're here today. He says uh, in verse number 15, if I had really spoken this way to others, if I had really expressed this doubt that I'm facing to other people, I would have been a traitor to your people. And so he's, he hasn't left the church yet because of the people of the church. He felt an unwillingness to bring others down with him or to lead others away with him. And he didn't want to hurt them by his own leaving. So these are not he, well, he's not just talking about people who go to church. He's talking about people who, who are really living this, really benefiting from this, and really, uh, really enjoying it. And you probably have some people like this in your life. And I can see examples of this. Uh, through different, different times as I've been a pastor, because what will happen is someone's grandma will pass away, and then once she passes away, the rest of the family no longer attends church, or it could be a dad, or it could be a spouse, and the only reason you went and you didn't quit going is because you didn't want to hurt the feelings of the person who was living that faith. So you did it out of respect for them because you admired them. Because you knew that what they had was genuine, you just knew it wasn't for you. And this is the area where may, when some people say uh, uh, all Christians are hypocrites, where if I know them, I'll ask them some, some specific questions, I'd be like, really, like your sister, you're going to say she's a hypocrite? Or like your grandmother, you're going to say she's a hypocrite? And then that's usually, usually where people will kind of break down on that statement and say, well, I would say she's a true Christian, but everybody else, they're all hypocrites. But we can all probably point to one person in our life that we would say, yeah, that person's faith is real. I would say their faith is real. I'm not going to question what they have. And you would look to them and admire them, and you'd never want to hurt them or the way they live um, or their belief system. You're respectful toward them. I have a family member, a second cousin, she's older, and she had sent me a Facebook message about a year ago, and she said, "Uh, um, I don't believe the things you believe, but I really admire your church and the things you guys do for the community. And I said, well, that's very gracious and kind for you. She didn't have to tell me that, and uh, I appreciate it. And I just silently prayed, um, God, help her to connect the next dot. Help her, there's an openness in her heart toward you now, help her to find you through this because we've we've broken a paradigm. She, there's a reason she hasn't had any interest in faith, but now all of a sudden she's seeing something. She's seeing the, uh, a genuineness and she's seeing what it's supposed to be. And if you can see that, there's a chance to, to experience him. Now, it's interesting that he's not leaving and he doesn't want to hurt other people in this process because... If there's no point in following Jesus and being part of the church, doesn't don't you have the obligation to tell other people about that? And ASAP, he doesn't feel an obligation to say, "Hey, there's no point in this. There's no benefit." Like, "Hey, quit while you're ahead. Let's go. You know, let's let's sleep in on Sunday morning. Let's go out on Saturday night." Um, uh, and and don't you have an obligation to write a song called Say Amen, where you're saying, I'll pray for the wicked on the weekend, and I swear to God, I'll never repent? Like, aren't you supposed to spread that to the masses? But it's because of the people he, he knows and because of what they've experienced that, again, he hasn't left yet. And I think there's a huge importance for those of us who are following Jesus to evaluate our heart and our life and our relationship with Jesus And to say, have we somehow become culturalized? Have we somehow become angry? Uh, Is there something in us that is going to turn people away from the goodness of Jesus? And and we just really need to be aware of that. He goes on, he says, the second reason why he hasn't left the church yet and he hasn't left God yet, he says uh, in verse number 17, because of the sanctuary of God. I went into your sanctuary, O God, and I finally understood the destiny of the wicked. And it's pointless to go on being godly, and he's, he's questioning any benefit of it, but yet he can't drag himself away. There's still something holding him there. There's still, uh, he's still engaged to a, a certain point, and that might be someone here today. You decided a long time ago you'd never go back to church, but yet here you are. You decided maybe weeks ago that you don't want to have anything to do with this, but yet here you are. Logically, if that's you, you shouldn't be here. And I pray that your experience in these next few minutes will be the same as Asaph's, that God will meet you. What happened with Asaph is he was around the people of God and he was in the, the place of God and in the presence of God. His proximity to God changed his perspective And his perspective had been focused on on the wicked and focused on everything that God wasn't doing to them. And he had forgotten about everything that God had done for him. And we tend to, our response is to run from God when bad things happen or to run from God if we get uncomfortable with something. But if you can instead run to him... As you get closer to him, your perspective changes and you begin to have an understanding and you begin to have an assurance that you will not have the further and further you run away. He was looking at where the wicked are now and he was envious of them, but all of a sudden he began to look at where he will be and he was grateful. He was envious of everything that was happening in the wicked's life currently but he was failing to see what, the, what destruction was going to come for them. And he was, he was looking at himself and everything he didn't have, but he was failing to see everything that God was going to do for him. And once that shift changed, he, be- he became grateful. And in verse number 18, he says, Truly, you put them, the wicked, on a slippery path. And send them sliding over the cliff to destruction. And at the very first verse, he's using the same, the same uh, uh, metaphor here. He said, I was on that slippery path about to be de- on destruction. But now he realized, wait a minute. No, it's them who is on that path. And he's just beginning to wear, be aware that the only thing they had was what they had, but at any moment it could come crashing down. And uh, and you know, if if there's um, an economic collapse, they lose everything they have. Uh, you know, we see we've seen at different times in our culture where uh, famous celebrities who seem to have everything you could ever want. Uh, Die tragically to a drug overdose, and, and it's just all of a sudden you realize the slippery path they were on. Or just recently in our, in our culture where there's been some famous people who have uh, ended their life deliberately because of the pain that they were experiencing, and, and they, just had the, they just were at the place where they said death is the only way to make this pain stop. And you can be envious of those people when you're looking at, oh, their business and their brand and their fame and their, and their wealth. And you think, I'm envious of that. I wish I had that. But once you realize the, the slippery path they're on and, and the pain that they walk through, and then all of a sudden you, you have this awareness like, man, I'm grateful, God, that I know you. That my, the only end to my pain is not death, but my, the end of my pain is at the cross. All of a sudden, you have an awareness and a gratefulness of who he is and what he's done. And he, he goes on to say in verse number 23, it says, um, along the same analogy, it says, yet I still belong to you. I was going to walk away. I was on the slippery slope of destruction, yet I still belong to you. I never crashed. He said, because you hold my right hand. I was there. I was on the edge I could have made the decision to walk away from you and ended up just like everybody else, but you were holding my hand. You wouldn't let me go. I would just encourage you, don't walk away. But in all of these difficulties, keep the proximity to him. And one thing that I believe which is why you're here today, as much as you swore to God you'd never come back, is because he won't let you walk away. He has your hand, and he's drawing you to himself. He's holding on to you. He's keeping. You may think, like, well, I don't know where he's been. Well, you're here now. He's been after you. In the song, say Amen. He gets to the place where he says at the end, I swear to God, I ain't ever going to repent. Mama, can I get another amen? Oh, it's Saturday night. Yeah, but Asaph, when he comes to the conclusion of his song in verse number 28, he says, but as for me, how good it is to be near God. I have made the sovereign Lord my shelter, and I will tell everyone about the wonderful things you do. This is why at Restoration Church, we're not leaving the church, but we're starting churches because the goodness of God is a real thing. The message of Jesus is good news, and he can do good things in your life, not just in the life after this one, but in your life now. And in every moment of sorrow, and every moment of affliction, and every moment of pain, you can know him and experience him. And I don't have good answers or not answers that are helpful as to why bad things happen to us. And, you know, Michelle and I, in our uh, 11 years of marriage and in our life, we've experienced some difficult things. Both of us grew up in church. Both of us have always been to church. Michelle, you know, I, I, I don't know if I said this, this service or last service. I don't remember a day in my life where I didn't believe in Jesus and a day in my life where I wasn't following him. I can remember a few hours, but I don't remember ever walking away from him. And Michelle will say the same testimony, but I'm not trying to put myself on a pedestal uh, but, or, or in, in any way. But to say there have been moments of extreme pain and extreme difficulty in our life. And the one thing I know through all of that is that uh, in those moments of of deep pain and deep desperation, you experience the love and comfort of God in a way you do not experience otherwise. You experience the compassion and kindness of God in a way that you do not experience when everything is going perfect. And that's not to say God does that on purpose so you'll love Him more. But when things are bad, God is faithful and He's with us. And He walks through, with us through all of those difficult moments and all of those difficult times. And I don't, for me, I try not to pray the prayer, why God, and point fingers and be angry. I try to bow my head and say, help God and allow His Holy Spirit, who Jesus said is a comforter, to be a physical, tangible comfort to me and to my heart. If you walk away, If you say, you know what, I'm living for Saturday night, heck with Sunday morning. If you say, you know what, I don't have anything to do with this anymore. I don't have anything to do with Jesus anymore. If you walk away, you'll miss his goodness. If you walk away, you're going to miss out. Because there's nothing on Saturday night that is better than him. There's there's nothing worth living for that is greater than him. This week when I was studying, uh, I found this quote from a pastor who pastored during the 40s and 50s, and he said this, five minutes in heaven will convince the godly that the godly life was worth it. Five minutes in hell will convince the godless that the ungodly life was not worth it this reality, you know, and you think, I'm going to give it all up. I'm going to give it all up because there's life to experience, there's things to do, and I'm not even sure I believe all this, but if you give it all up, man, you're going to be missing out on everything there is to have. Um, One of my aunts, she's since passed away, but for the last four to five years of her life, she was very, very sick. And um, so, uh, I remember this one conversation. I went to go visit her. She was in, in Dartmouth. And it, she, it was just a period of over a year where she'd be out of the hospital for two weeks and she'd be back in the hospital for two weeks. It was just nonstop. And she was so frustrated. And she had, in one of our services, um, given her life to Jesus and, and, and believed that when she prayed that prayer and gave her life to Jesus, that everything would be made right. And when a few years later, she was still sick and sicker than she had ever been, she was really struggling with that. She would ask me questions about faith. I would always pray for her for healing, for miraculous, instantaneous uh, healing, and, and it never happened. As I sat in her hospital room with her one time, just talking about this, just her honesty with me. She said, I don't know if I believe all this, and then she cussed. She's just really struggled with it. And I don't know, I can't make any claim to her salvation. I, I don't want to. I know she prayed a prayer in this building one time, and so I'm going to hold on to that. But you know what? If she, if she gave her life to Jesus, and she, when she passed away, if she, if she made it to heaven, you know what she's going to say? Well, you know what? All those, missed, all those vacation days and dialysis, Who cares? All of those sickness, all of those weeks in the hospital, who cares? After five minutes in heaven, it'll have not even be another thought because she is in the, in the pure, good presence of God. One thing that you may have heard said before, as we talk about earth, for the believer, this earth is the closest thing you'll ever experience to hell. But for the unbeliever, this earth is the closest thing you'll ever experience to heaven. And it's a, it's a real choice for us to live trusting God, not envious of other people, to live committed to him, believing that he hasn't forgotten you, believing that he'll walk with you, believing that even every trial is a chance for him to work in your life, or to give it all up say, I'm living for Saturday night you close your eyes. I want to take a moment and pray for you. When I'm uh, done praying, the band will sing for just a minute. and You can just stay and reflect on what God's doing in your life. At the end of the service, there'll be prayer teams up here. And maybe you're coming back to church today after a long time away. I invite you to come to the front and have someone pray with you. We're not going to point fingers at you. We're not going to ask you where you've been. We want to take a moment and allow you to take this step um, to connecting back to God. Maybe you're here and you've been thinking about walking away and come forward and let us pray for you and encourage you and be uh, be a help to you to continue following Him. If you're here and you've never heard about Jesus talked about the way we've talked about Him um, and you're like, you know what, that is what I need. I've been living and experienced all these things, that, but has brought me nothing. I want, I need Jesus right now. You don't need me, you don't need to uh, fill out a religious application, you just, you just tell him that you want him, and you can pray a prayer just like this, put it in your own words, but it's, Jesus, I need you in my life. I believe that you're God's son, and I ask you to be my Lord. I ask you to forgive me of all my sins. And I make a decision today to follow you. And that prayer changes your life like it did for my parents, like it did for me, and like it did for my wife, and like it did for the person who invited you here. Jesus, there's all kinds of different things we struggle with, and a big temptation is just to walk away from you. But I pray we'd stay in close proximity to you that you change our perspective you'd allow us to remember and see every good thing that you've done in our life every time you protected us every time you provided for us and remind us god what good things await us in the future we love you we appreciate you we're reminded of your goodness and forgive us for being forgive us for looking at people who are who don't know you and forgive us for thinking about walking away from you We just pray this all in Jesus' name, amen.